This is the essential guide to surviving humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax. So this is part two of parenting. Part one, we kind of talked about uh, me not being a parent and Gareth just about managing as a parent. And so Heather, his wife, is here, perhaps with a bit more expertise and experience of parenting. So I'm going to read another Dr. Spock quote, because I think even today um, his advice is quite relevant. I think that parents ought to get some idea of how the so-called experts have changed their advice over the decades so that they won't take them deadly seriously and so that if the parent has the strong feeling, I don't like this advice, the parent won't feel compelled to follow it. So don't worry about trying to do a perfect job. There is no perfect job. There is no one way of raising your children. Heather, I guess um, what Dr Spock is saying is that we get all this advice from all these experts. And I'm sure if I were to look up the literature on parenting, there would be hundreds. I mean, like some of the other topics we've talked about, there'd be a huge section in a bookshop on parenting. And I do remember Dr Spock being around in the 60s and 70s. What what was your memory of, of that book? I can't even remember the name of it. No, I do remember it being spoken about, but I never really delved into it myself. I had a friend that used to speak often of it, but um, it, some of it seemed a bit just uh, highfalutin and not great ideas. But um, I, I think it just comes down to common sense in the end. And as you just quoted, it, it, nobody is a perfect parent. And nowadays, with websites and all sorts of things out there, there's so many forums for parental advice and that sort of thing so I think you just go with what feels right for you and if you have elders around you get sage advice from them and go with what you feel is right for you and your child Mm, I love that word elders because I think I may be becoming an elder soon or you know that stage where you become almost the grandparent figure I think I'm moving into that time and uh, it's a beautiful role to play, isn't it? But mm-hmm. I think more and more elders, grandparents, we don't have around us as much as we did. So, And I know your mum was a really big influence on you. Mm, indeed, she was. Yeah, really good. Yes, indeed. My mum was a very good um, homely mother. Both my parents were very good, actually. They both had very good advice and dad was a very good role model from my son at the time. So that they both stepped up to the mark, help and advice and babysitting roles as well. So mm. they used to love taking the kids out for days out and that sort of thing. It's interesting because in part one, we were talking about how we didn't have great role models. And for me, that's probably the reason I haven't had children. And for Gareth, I think he realised that he hadn't followed the path that his parents followed. That must set you up really well to have good parents as role models. Yeah, I guess it does because you... I always knew I wanted children, having only had the one and now a stepson as well. But yeah, it was it was something that I wanted to do because I, I guess I did have good role models as as parents. Yeah. Mm. So how did how did it all happen? Where did it start? With my parenting, I had Greg as was then uh, when I was twenty three. Got married at nineteen, nearly twenty, and had Greg at twenty three. And that's relatively young, isn't it? I suppose it is relatively young, but I felt I was ready to delve into the parenting role. Not entirely planned, but as my mum said at the time, they'll always bring their love with them. So you don't have to worry or panic about things. They will always bring their love with Mm. them. And I imagine, because I know you as I do, that it came very naturally. You know, what what do you do? There's a tiny thing in your arms. Where do you start? Um, I think you hope that the motherly instinct will be there and things will come naturally. 
I remember only being home a few days and my, I knew my parents were away that weekend so I was kind of feeling alone although I wasn't I was at home with my husband then and um, after feeding babe was asleep on the cushion on my lap and I don't know what happened whether there was a bit of choking up but basically stopped breathing and went a bit blue and just my instinct I think from my veterinary nursing as well just to blow in the face to bring a a shock and a breath and he started breathing again I was like oh my goodness and then of course I was walking up and down cuddling and crying and thinking oh my goodness what must what am I supposed to do in these situations but I'd coped well it was just the shock and the panic I think well not panic because I didn't panic as such but um it's just well, your the... instinct kicked in you know <clears throat> yeah. almost like an animal instinct to blow in it was like somewhere there somewhere there i think that's just such a good example of you know what mothering is about is there something in you knows at mm. a primal level what to do i how long did that relationship last so my first marriage only lasted just over five years so gregory was only two when our marriage broke up and I did do my very best to keep his father in his life and, you know, would invite him round and do lots of things, but ended up having to realise that he wasn't a great person and he wasn't sticking to the rules of being a, a, a father. He wasn't around for him. He was high days and holidays. He would let him down on a regular basis. So in the end, I would, you know, still invite him, but not tell Greg that he was coming just so that he didn't get upset if he didn't turn up. Mm. So he just proved that he wasn't a great person to be in his life. So things were difficult throughout the years. And when Greg got to the age of 16, he basically had a word with his dad and said, I know who you are, you're my dad, but you've never really been a father to me, so, you know, I don't want much more to do with you. Mm. So. Yeah, so that took a strength in Greg at the time to create that boundary. Mm. And it sounds like you were, for a few years, working out what that boundary was. Mm-hmm. And that must be, I think, a big part of parenting is where you set the boundaries. Yeah. I mean, splitting up and being a single parent from the age of Greg being two was quite tough. But as I say, I had great family around me and thank goodness I did because they were there to help and, as I say, babysit while so I could work. And they were very good at just being there in general for help and advice and that sort of thing. And, and the dad was a great role model for Greg, not missing out entirely on having a male in his life at that point. Yes, and I imagine as a single mum, a young single mum, relatively, we were working at the same time, is that right? A part-time, yeah. Yeah, part-time, and then bringing up a young boy. And so you had the support of your parents, which is obviously important. But what about when it came to you wanting to meet someone? Well, I always wanted to have another relationship because I wanted more children, but there was this thing of really not wanting to bring endless uncles into Greg's life at the time so I would date quietly on the side and um, only if I felt the person was going to be around and be in our lives for a a reasonable time that I would introduce Greg to them so that you know they they didn't become part of our lives because I was a package deal after all and I'm not just me it was a package deal so if I felt that they were going to be on board with that then I would then introduce them but never I never lived with anyone else until I met Gareth at 
when we were about the age of 40 when mm-hmm. we met. Yeah. So you'd really established a real bond with, I mean, I've always noticed that with you and now Max, yeah. Greg, when I first met you, just this incredible synchronicity, this ability to communicate almost through code. It's something very special that you have. Would that be true? Yes. Yeah, we were very, very close. I think because it was just us two and we used to, I used to so enjoy going out and doing things, learning new things through his eyes at the time and and as we know now max is trans and now female so just learning if if only i'd have known then what i know now i could have done things a lot differently mm. as in with the knowing that she was different knowing that she was very sensitive throughout school with the bullying and everything like that i could have dealt with things differently but it's a learning curve mm. you you're wading through treacle trying to deal with authorities of school and that sort of thing and it's you don't know until you're through the other side yeah and having worked in school as well dealing with children with dyslexia and special needs and that sort of thing is it's a huge learning curve Mm. yeah i think there wasn't the same language we talked about that in part one around gender well there wasn't many choices um in my generation about that um, you know, I'm trying to think there were definitely tomboys and boys that like to grow their hair and maybe wear skirts if they were dressing up, but nothing, not a language that we now have at our fingertips around gender. Uh, it's so I think it's more acceptable now yes, as well. Yes, yeah, so I think it's understandable yeah. that although you noticed the symptoms of someone who was struggling maybe in themselves, mm. what possibly could you have done at the time? I guess what, what would be the biggest challenge you would say of being a parent? your personal experience knowing the right thing to do at the right time leaving them enough room to grow and to become their own person but also setting the boundaries and I think that's the difficult thing with being a single parent is being able to be both sides of that setting the boundaries setting the rules being strict enough but also being someone that they feel they can open up to and and speak to about absolutely anything and that's actually something I found sorting out all our paperwork today I found a letter from Max saying that all the friends that he knew at school who had both their parents at home didn't like their parents would hardly speak to them and she was the only one who would actually have a friend in me as a parent isn't that lovely yeah isn't that lovely because we think oh that unit that that perfect family you know across the road or whatever but who really knows what goes on and if they're not getting on I think we've talked about that in part one then better that they split and at least there's a harmonious environment to grow up in so many kids go through that teenage stage of just hating their parents you know oh god you're just unbearable and embarrassing and don't want anything to do with you but Max and I never had that no, no. Can I just jump in? I, I've always wanted to ask, is that because you were a friend or is that because you were a parent? Because I was a parent and a friend, I guess. I think we we had an understanding. She did have go out and have friends and, you know, skateboarding and all that sort of thing. So she did go out and do teenage things. Some things that I've only found out about in <laughs> later life. And, Quite. Um, Less said about that, the better. No, just usual things that kids get up to behind their parents back but yeah. nothing too horrendous but nothing, it's just you know the the bond that we had she could come and talk to me about almost anything and you know we would have those open honest conversations 
I think it sounds like you've got a really good balance, one that's so hard to strike, where you're the parent and the friend. You've given her so much space. And we talked about this in part one, that if you don't judge your child or put any pressure on your child to be this or be that or do that or do this and just say whatever you choose that's okay and you know max chose all sorts of different things before she got to where she is now yeah yeah i mean she was quite because of the bullying at school um and it was hard to keep her in school in those those last years of school um really tough when she finished school she was adamant she didn't want to go to further education college nothing like that mm. so she went straight out to work um as soon as she was old enough because leaving school at 15 nearly 16 because of her being at the that end of the school year she went to work and was you know helping pay towards the household at such a young age and it wasn't till later on that she actually went back into education to do um the animal management course that yeah. um, she did yeah. yeah so a bit like i said to gareth as a lot of things that she's taken on that you gave her, the love of animals, mm-hmm. I think must have been a massive one because, you know, your father was in a farm or... Um, we were from a farming family um, yeah. and then grew up in a country park. So Max was also up in that environment. So just being close to nature. And I think that really helps as well if, if kids can get out in nature and understand more about how life works, how things grow. And that sort of thing. It really does make them a rounded person. Mm. Of the little I know, really, of Max, there's something about her that she's been attracted to being a blacksmith. I know she worked in a cycle shop. She worked with animals. So there's something really close to, something quite earthy about that that I really like. Something that probably has come from living close to nature and your love of, in fact, nature. Yeah, I think because I've done various jobs as well along the way, working first as a veterinary nurse, then I had Max, and then working with special needs children because I learned a lot about that because of Max being dyslexic. Yeah, and tell me a bit more about working with children with special needs because I think if someone's listening to this podcast who is worried that perhaps their child has a learning disorder, is that the right term? Learning Learning difficulties, just uh, learning differently. Yes, of course there's all sorts of different, perhaps more, I don't want to say politically correct, but more sensitive terminology around some of this. What would you advise or what was your experience of working in that environment? Basically came about because I used to go into the junior schools or infant school actually started when I used to go and listen to children read to help the teachers out. So I used to go in and I was realising that the other children were picking up things, learning to read and they were doing word recognition at the time and Max just wasn't getting it, wasn't picking up the reading skills like the other children were so I thought there's something wrong here, I need to find out more. Lucky enough I had a friend that was working in a school with, it was basically a special needs school and she did some homework for me and would see Max out of school hours and we managed to get some extra tuition under our belts and we taught phonics which is old-fashioned how we used to do you know letter blends and Mm -hmm. all that sort of thing so worked so once it clicked the reading age then went way above the chronological age so she picked it up and suddenly run with it Mm -hmm. which really helped because she has an immense intelligence that was then coming through because she could read things soak it up like a sponge but then I realized that there was the added difficulties of dyslexia with writing 
she could soak it up, get it all in her head, but then getting it back out was such difficulty because mm. having to concentrate on writing so much, you'd lose the content. Oh, yeah, so, be so hard, because yeah. of learning so much about this with Greg, as was then, I then thought, well, I might as well do this as a job. So mm. I then started to work in a senior school. Max was now by now in junior school and um, with with special needs children. I wonder how long it would have taken to have spotted that had you not been reading with kids at the time. I really, well, I can't tell now because it's it, what happened happened, but then it's a lot of other people speaking to other parents just realising that their children weren't up to scratch with or up to par with some of the other kids. Then I would do separate reading tests, spelling tests and reading tests with them just friends and family mm. and then getting them to go back into the school and saying you know there is an issue here can we look at it and what help can can you give mm. yeah I think I think a bit like a bit like language around gender there is a lot more language around um, special needs mm. now there's so many acronyms um, there's probably 10 12 15 yeah acronyms. I don't think they even still call it special needs it's probably changed name from yes. now now yeah. it's it's you know learning differently mm. and that sort of thing mm. but uh, it's it's a huge area because the spectrum as i understood it was from um from mild dyslexia right through to full autism children can have any one of the symptoms and bits and pieces of those make up each individual child and every child is different mm. they they have learning differences mm. and it's understanding how they learn learn some are visual learners, some there's so many different ways and yeah. you have to tap into what they take on board as to how to get them to understand things mm. and try and keep up with the other kids. Yes, I know um, people like Stein at the Steiner School um, and there's a free school as well where they let the children guide them as to how they want to learn. Mm. I remember a lovely story that my friend told me, um, she's a music teacher in Brighton at a free school that's now lost all its funding unfortunately but um, there was a boy who just couldn't keep still and he couldn't learn it was a science lesson I think it was and eventually they realized that if he just needed to go outside build himself a rocket and then fire it off you know that was his way of learning all about space and energy and physics and that sort of thing and I think that was a really good example that they just let the child guide them and yeah okay so if that doesn't work we go another way and the thing is with state schools you know there just isn't the the help that let children do that no, unfortunately the or the no, help. No, no absolutely and again and, so, and, and one of the other problems i had with max in school was because of the high intelligence especially going into senior school the help it tends to be in the lower sets where there are more difficulties with the children and behavioral difficulties and that mm. sort of thing so the teaching assistants tend to be in the lower sets but Max was in all the high sets so and the high. help just wasn't there. So it's stuck between a, a rock and a hard place in mm. a way. Yeah. Didn't they have a problem with the f the fact that Max was very keen on, on reading things that were really quite challenging for others? Yeah, that was in junior school. One of the teachers really took umbrage with the books that Max was reading because they were really, you know, adult books. Mm. But mm. they were beautifully written. There was one particularly about, I think it was called Whale Song, beautifully written, quite poetic. But she said it's an adult book. She, what a shame. And yeah. he was just ready. He decided himself when he was it, ready. Yeah. Which, yeah, and he yeah. understood it. He could tell her everything about what he'd read. But it was just, no, it's just not allowed. It's amazing, isn't it? Because we've talked before in other podcasts about fitting in. Where do you really fit in? And, you know, maybe this whole thing about fitting in for 
then Greg has been a kind of theme in his life. You know, I mm. think we all struggle to fit in sometimes. You know, I know that I definitely have. So tell me then, fast forward a bit, and you started to realise, or Greg and you both started to realise that he didn't fit into the, and I am inverted commas here, norm. Um, there was all sorts of incidents, um, which Max likes to remind me of one particular <laughs> one when she was about 13. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but in, in retrospect, it is kind of comical. Yeah, because um, I think she'd been humming and ahhing and came to me, well, I think my sister was there at the time as well, and said, Mum, I think I might be gay. And I don't know why or how I managed to just laugh it off at the time and just say no way your bedroom's far too messy you're not gay <laughs> okay. but the thing is I didn't realize at the time that really struck home and she retreated she retreated in the back into the and again. cried you know sort of tried to hide that portion of her and just think okay then I'm not so wow. you know just leave it be and and it was so innocent because such you know, an innocent you, comment yeah, and I really no had idea. no idea mm. that I'd caused damage at that point um, well, it was by... latency. You just created some latency. It all came out in the wash. Yeah, yeah. She, she what else did she came remind out? you of? I know, I know there's something yeah. about lists, but that was much more recent. Wasn't the thing oh, about yes. lists? Yeah, because I used to make lists if I was going out to work or whatever, and I'd make a list of things that needed doing. I think because of the dyslexia as well, I could say things yes. and she'd go into a room and then forget why she'd gone into that room because of the learning problems. So... Um, that was one of the things, the sequential memory and all that sort of thing was a difficulty. So I used to write lists. I'd go off out to work or wherever and come back and check that the things were done on the list. And to this day, she absolutely hates lists. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it's that case of we can't possibly know that these things are going to be sort of embedded in the child and then the adult later on. How can we possibly know? So, you know, it is a bit hit or miss, I mm. guess. Um, but... From that comment, obviously, then you um, that went by, and then there was a, a latency, as Gareth uh, talks about. But in very recent years, you know, tell tell me a bit about that. We've talked about it a little bit, but talk to me about you know the chron chronology of that. Um, well, she's been in and out of work and had lots of mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety. Um, and ironically, I think that was mostly to do with this. Not quite knowing who she was. Mm, yeah, not not quite fitting in or not quite knowing where she wanted to be in life. Um, and now, because um, she came out as gay at 18 and then realised she was more ace, asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, in the last year or so, uh, come out as trans and now legally changed her name and now female. Mm-hmm. And we're on that road of... Uh, or that journey and learning mm. together again mm. i imagine mm. 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 but all along the way all i've ever said is you're always my child i will always love you no mm. matter what quite right so, yeah. and it's very much what you talked about in, in part one i feel mm. that what you both are exemplary of is the non-judgment the all accepting the very liberal in terms of you give freedom to you have given freedom to your children mm. um, i don't think we give freedom i just don't think we take it away you know the point is we don't put we don't put a restriction on it she can think or feel whatever she wants there's no rule that says she can't expand herself in any particular direction it's not it's not like we're allowing her to think a certain way we're just letting her get on with it mm. 
Yeah. Isn't that the same thing? No, not really, because one of them is almost like, I'm allowing you to do this. You're allowed to be free. We're not. We're just not putting any restrictions. We're just well, saying. I guess that's what I meant by giving, yeah, yeah. giving her freedom. Mm. Yeah, you just say, you know, as it's you It's not say. like anything we've done. It's literally by inaction. We just sit by and let her get on it, with it. It's just been your natural way of mm. being parents. Mm. And I think um, some children might struggle with that because they might want boundaries. Mm. And yeah. go, I want boundaries. I need to know where my, where my nose is. I think is. that comes early with, with children knowing... They have certain boundaries, like the you have to set the ground rules in mm. the early days because if you don't set the boundaries, then you will have a completely unruly child, and especially if they're going to have issues, ADHD or anything like that, mm. they thrive on boundaries. Any any type of child on the spectrum loves to have routine and boundaries, mm. and mm. that is really important. But the 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 freedom part also comes along with that and you it's knowing the balance mm. i think is the the difficulty mm. but also the the brilliance of just letting your child thrive and be them mm. not setting your um, agenda. agenda to them and saying that this is how it should be you put in the stress of you have to do these exams because that's what's going to make you get further in life mm-hmm. i think a lot of parents live um vicariously through their children i think i had that pressure you know because you are an extension of me therefore you must succeed and you must uh, follow this path and be clever and intelligent get this sort of job whereas actually how can that possibly how can a child possibly thrive under that kind of pressure Mm. i've struggled a bit with that because Mm. i'm a, a businessman and a musician and i've got different goals and different paths that I'm trying to push myself down and while she's been struggling with all this part of me wanted her to find a direction and bang on with it Mm. whereas I think she's been all consumed with what it is to be her and trying to find her path so I don't think she's been able to focus on all those things and part of me was struggling with wanting to say no, hang on a moment. You're supposed to be a something or other. Find out what it is and do it. Yeah, so maybe it's more about letting go. Yeah. Letting go of you as parents. It's hard, and, been hard yeah, for me to let yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to mm. say, go free. You know, like, I love the fact that she was reading whale song. There's something, or a book about whales. I just think there's something very metaphorical about that. She was obsessed with that. cetaceans mm. of all sorts. Mm. So, yes, and I just touching on this, but I remember someone saying that a spectrum isn't linear, no, yeah, it's, it's very much uh, much more complex, as is the brain. Mm. And I have met quite a few men actually with ADHD, and you know it's complex. It's hard for them to make relationships, and there's a real difficulty for them to make relationships. And being in relationship with someone with ADHD can be quite painful until you really understand. I have got an alarm clock and in my app it tells me when to brush my teeth, when to put my toothbrush down, when to wash my face, then I get dressed, then I go downstairs and I make my breakfast. I mean, this is a highly intelligent architect, you know, brilliant mind. And yet when it comes to this, the, the symptoms of ADHD, he really struggles to operate. So I think... It's about, and whether this is about parenting or just in general, the more you really deeply understand someone's 
world, I guess, is the right way to put it. And then in my case, I can forgive and say, okay, that's the second time that you've let me down, that you haven't met up when you said, or you've been late, you've been half an hour late. But I do understand that your head doesn't, your mind doesn't work in the same way the mind does. So it feels like parenting is a lot about going, putting, you put yourself in their shoes to some extent. Mm. What does it feel like to be... It's learning what it's like in their world, yeah. Mm. It was learning about the dyslexia side of things and how she was functioning at the time. It was understanding that I couldn't tell her to go upstairs and do five things because she'd get upstairs and then not realise, or rather not remember what she'd gone up there for or what I'd asked her for, so... That's when the lists came in. (laughs) And I think in previous times, that would have been, you just don't listen. You're so lazy. What's the matter with you? Mm -hmm. Can't you just concentrate? And I just feel for all the kids in my generation and before who were never understood and who were told, given all these different labels that were completely wrong. And although I feel sometimes we haven't evolved much in this world as, as people, as a society, there is an element... I hope, where we are more accepting of differences. In fact, Mm -hmm. celebrate differences. And we kind of go, yeah, go there. Whatever it is that, you you know, you feel, just go there. And you might get it wrong and it might be a bit of a risk, but, you know, I'm going to be holding your hand the whole way. I've noticed two things in life, going from children to adult, two fundamental phases. The first phase where you desperately try and subsume yourself into society and be as similar to all your peers as you can. And you don't want to stick out. You don't want to be any different to them because you'll be picked upon and pointed to and look at them. They're different. And then later on, when you're adult, you're desperately trying to find the way you can differentiate yourself from everybody else and and stand out from the crowd. Not everybody. Some people still want to disappear into the background. Absolutely. It depends on how they've grown and, mm. and what, what world they're in. But it is in fashion, isn't it? It's fashionable to stick out. Find their USP. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and all of that. And, of course, social media really encourage us to constantly reinvent and, you know, constantly be the new me and all of that. I suppose my final question might be, in today's modern society... What would you say, what would your advice be to a parent who's just going, a mum maybe who's going, I'm eight months pregnant and I look at this world that I'm bringing my child into and I am terrified. I would just say, don't stress about it. That's the main thing because stress gets your head all over the place and then you're not going to think straight. Just be as natural and as calm as you can be and don't stress about social media and all the the things are you know just being bombarded with all this information just go with what you naturally feel go with what your child wants and how your child projects itself to the world because you will understand more about them if you are calmer and listening to them and if they see you as always being open i think they're probably more likely to want to approach you if they've got something to share Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that thing about peace and calm and steady mind uh, is, is something we're trying to bring to children now with mindfulness and mindfulness now is a massive part of education I know uh, friends who are working in schools uh, are realising the power of mindfulness so this feels like it's been a very mindful, mind-filling podcast thank you so much Heather Wax for chatting to us today it's been beautiful listening to you this has been the essential guide to surviving humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax mm-hmm.